Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February the 26th, 2022. Um, it's a Saturday. I hope you're all having a good weekend. The eyes of the world, of course, are on the Ukraine. The headlines, um, the New York Times, as, um, uh, as, as we broadcast this, is that Russian fighters are closing in on three cities. Uh, the war is already pretty hot. It's heating up. It's dominating, I think, everyone's thoughts. But perhaps I might take your mind off Russia and the Ukraine and the battle for Kiev and the other Ukrainian cities uh, for a few minutes. Rather than thinking about Kiev and Ukraine and Putin, I want to talk about somebody uh, who has been described as a cat that walked alone, the great British dramatist and legendary figure on lots of levels, a man called Christopher Marlowe. Wonderful new novel has been written about uh, Marlowe's life and death. It's called A Fine Madness. It's by Alan uh, Judd, who's a very distinguished uh, writer, novelist. Um, and I'm thrilled that Alan is joining us from his home in uh, Sussex today in, in the southern part of England. Uh, Alan, it's nice to take our mind off the Ukraine with this remarkable character, um, Christopher Marlow. Um, I'm not sure if it was you or uh, or one of his contemporaries who described Marlow as a cat that walked alone. Why did you decide to write a mystery novel about Marlow? Well, it was me that um, used that phrase of him, yes, but I think that's what he was like, rather. It's, it goes back a long way, this book. It goes back, I've been thinking about it for more or less 40 years on and off not working out how to do it, but wanting to do it in some way. And I think the origins is me spending too much of my time when I was at university reading Dostoevsky. I was I was passionate about Dostoevsky. Well, as, as all good university students should be, we had <laughs> yeah. a show last year on Dostoevsky, and I think he's about as relevant today as uh, he's ever been. I think he is, isn't he? And I, I, it wasn't anything to do with my subject, but it was the only complete course of lectures I ever attended. And I think it was that that got me seeing Marlowe as a Dostoevskian sort of character, uh, particularly inspired by Ivan Karamazov in The Brothers Karamazov, um, questioning, doubtful, sort of atheistic, free-thinking, maybe self-destructive. That's what made me interested in him. Well, and let's come course... back for a moment, uh, Alan. Not everyone, certainly, I don't think there'll be anyone watching this who are as familiar, as intimate with Marlowe's life and death as you are. But who was um, who, who was this Marlowe character, Christopher well, Marlowe? Yeah, he was born in 1564, the same year as Shakespeare in Canterbury, which is a, a small city in Kent, south, about 60 miles from London. He came from humble origins. His father was a cobbler. They weren't rich. But in those days, if you were lucky enough to be born a boy, not a girl, and you were born in a cathedral city, 
and your parents could afford just a little education for you, you could get a scholarship, which he did, to King's School, Canterbury. And bright boys were brought on in that system. He then got a scholarship that took him on to Corpus Christi, Cambridge, where he started writing his plays. He then became the playwright and the leading playwright of his time. He and Shakespeare knew each other. They collaborated. Shakespeare was earlier in his playwriting career than Marlowe. And Marlowe was very much the lead one and renowned as a poet as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the and astonishing then, things when I was doing a little bit of research, I mean, he died at what, 29? 29. But his output was astonishing. Six six historical dramas, including Tamburlaine, which is still considered a great work of art, huge yeah. amount of poetry and translation. And that's alongside all his spying and carousing and other things. How did he pack yeah. all that into 29 years of life, Alan? I don't know how they did it. And when you think writing that stuff, you're writing mainly in daylight, probably. I mean, you can write right. in daylight. There's no, course, uh, but, you know, it's there's not no that software. Easy. There's no, there's no there's printers. Software. There's, there's no, no word. No. no. I mean, they packed it in. I mean, look at Shakespeare, 37 plays and all those poems, as well as acting and directing. Yeah, we got no, to ask the Shakespeare question because that always comes up with Marlowe, Alan. Yeah. What's your sense of the connection? Is there any truth in any of these conspiracy theories that Marlowe and Shakespeare were the same person? No, I don't think there is. And I think, um, I mean, if if that were the case, everyone who knew them would have to be involved in the conspiracy. And lots of people knew them both. And lots more people knew them individually and knew they were who they were. I think the conspiracy theories originated because of Marlowe's rather vi violent death and at an obscure time in, outside, in a near a tavern in Deptford, or in a tavern in Deptford. Deptford, yeah. Are, I mean, I grew up in London and Deptford ah, right. then was about the last place in the world you ever wanted to be uh, on the south bank yeah. of the River Thames. Yeah. So I, I assume it was even worse in um, in Marlowe's time in Elizabeth. Yeah, Eden. it was a prominent port area. And now it's interesting, you see, you grew up in London. We all think of Deptford as London. But in 1593, when Marlowe was killed, Deptford was Kent. Mm. London was smaller. And this is partly Significantly why, smaller. Yeah. Partly why conspiracy theories developed, because as the years went on and people who had known Marlowe died off and that sort of thing, people who were interested looked for coroner's reports on the death and there was nothing. They couldn't find anything at all. Right. So, But before we get to the death, let's talk a little bit more. Um, and I, I apologize, Alan, I interrupted you earlier, which I unfortunately tend to do a lot. It's your job. Um, well, it's not my job. My job is not to interrupt, <laughs> but I, I try not to. I, I try to allow my guests to talk but sometimes I jump in you talked a little bit about Marlowe's upbringing from a, an ordinary family he got lucky yeah. because he was born into a uh, a cathedral town he went to a good school and he, and he ended up at a university uh, but that's his early life then what happens I mean as we said he packed a huge amount into 29 years of, 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 of living how yeah. old was he when he graduated from Cambridge? Did he graduate from Cambridge? Was there even an idea that you could graduate from Cambridge? In, in yes, uh, like a lot of people then, he did his BA, his bachelor, which was three years. And he then went on to do his master's, his MA, which was a further three years. 
However, during that, and he went there early, of course. He was, you know, 14, 15 when he went to Cambridge, which often right. happened. However, Cambridge was not going to give him his master's degree because they said he had failed to fulfill the residency requirements. He was supposed to dine in so many nights a term. And he spent quite a lot of time traveling away from Cambridge. We know exactly when he was traveling because the records for the buttery, for the, his, his dining in records survive. And he was away a lot. And the Do we Cambridge know where he went? Was he, was he cruising? Was he spying? Was he having fun? We think it appears to be that he was probably spying, at least for part of that time. Because so here we have Marlowe. We've had Marlowe as the the scholarship boy, and now we have Marlowe as the spy. What what did yeah. that mean um, at the um, in the Elizabethan age? It was it well, was it, one of the great ages of spying, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, with Walsingham's very effective spying network, which was quite famous, um, he probably was involved with that in some way. And very briefly, again, you, you're dropping names here, Alan. Yeah. Not everyone would be familiar. Right, you, okay. you talk about Walsingham. This is Sir Francis Walsingham. Very That's briefly, right. Tell me who he, he was and how um, Marlowe was connected with Walsingham. He was Queen Elizabeth's spymaster. And he was, a, he was a very good spymaster. Very effective. Now, the connection, if there is one, and it's not proven, was probably that quite a few students from Cambridge at that time were still secretly Catholic and were going across the sea, across the channel into France to train to be priests, to come back and try and overthrow the Protestant revolution that Elizabeth was And this was the dominant, this was the, the cold this was war the big, of, of this the was age the, between exactly Catholicism that. and Protestantism. Just Elizabeth herself it. was, of course, the daughter of Anne Boleyn. She succeeded yeah. her sister Mary. So yeah. it, it was a very tense time. There was, of course, the the Spanish great power, which eventually were defeated in, in the Armada. So th th it was both yeah. domestic and international, this tension yeah. between Protestants and, and, and Catholics. It was. And I think Cold War is a good way to put it. And I think the Cambridge authorities suspected that Marlowe was doing that. However... Doing what? Going away secretly across to France to train up to be a priest and come back and infiltrate. Do we have any now, idea, um, again, uh, jumping in here, um, Alan, on my his Wikipedia page has a section on his philosophy, which I guess is another word, use of uh, religion. Was he a committed protestant was he ambivalent about religion was he more machiavellian in his attitude to religion i think i mean this is jumping ahead rather but i think he was he was as near to an atheist as you could be at that time he was suspected in later life of free thinking which is questioning the bible questioning religion he, he was indeed a, a cat that walked alone that's right very alone. Uh, he, I mean, how how alone would he have been in those days of being? An well, atheist? there were a few. There were some others. So Walter Raleigh was one, also suspected of free thinking and in trouble for it because it was against the law. It was against the law not to believe in God. Uh, so it was a dangerous thing. But if he if he had religious beliefs, they would have been almost certainly Protestant. Did he was too but, smart? Was was his atheism rooted in as a natural skepticism? Um, uh, yeah. a, a radical thinking, perhaps connected with his 
cloudy sexuality what's your theory there i think it was it was he was basically pretty skeptic about everything he was questioning he was iconoclastic and i think his atheism as we would call it stemmed from that and he has characters in his plays make a lot of remarks which are dismissive of religion in general and sometimes of christianity in particular and he's also said by contemporaries to may have made various dismissive remarks he, he was in, a, in an odd way the uh, 16th century version of, of christopher hitchens another great english yeah. skeptic yeah 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 he was yeah he was very much like that and he clearly didn't want to make a secret of it but he had to be pretty careful so, so Walsingham, to... using an atheist, a skeptic, someone with a yeah. an interesting, shall we say, private life, would Walsingham have chosen those kind of talented young men, or might no. he have been blackmailing him to I get doubt him he was... to spy because uh, he was so vulnerable? I doubt he was blackmailing him, um, and Walsingham would make use of anyone who could be useful. But Walsingham himself was a very devout Protestant. And Marlowe would probably have been pretty careful not to overstep the line in in actually questioning, you know, with Walsingham, religious belief. And but, Alan, as you know, we live in an age where we're obsessed with us, our individual sexuality. Yeah. There, there, were, there were rumors that Marlowe was a homosexual. Would have this been a great crime in Elizabethan England? What's your sense it, on this? It certainly could. Well, it was a crime. Uh, the extent to which it was sought out and punished seems to have varied quite a lot. I mean, it could, if the government was after you for some reason, some other reason than that, and they discovered that you are homosexual, they certainly bring that onto the crime sheet. But you might get away with it if you weren't, if you were otherwise in good favour. You could probably be homosexual as long as you weren't too blatant about it without anyone paying too much attention. That's so here we have a guy, Alan, remarkable writer, prolific output, also probably or almost certainly working for the British state for the George Smiley of his time, Sir Francis Walsingham. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk about his death uh, after the break. But before that, what else should we be talking about in terms of his actual life? Well, in terms of his actual life, we know very little apart from what we've just been discussing. We know he wrote the plays and the poems. We we have good reason to believe, and I haven't quoted yet the, the best reason we have for believing that he was a spy, but and we know that he was at Cambridge University. We don't a lot of, we don't know where he was living a lot of the time. We don't know how much money he had. We don't know whether he ever owned any property, whether he left a will even, it's never been found. Who his friends were, his best friends. Whether he had any women in his life, we don't know that. There's a lot. Did he ever get on um, Queen Elizabeth's radar? Would she have been familiar with his name, or would he have been a mystery to her? She, she probably would have been. We've done some, we've done some shows on um, Elizabeth, Elizabethan England. We did one on yeah. Francis Drake and her relationship. So she, she was close to a, to some of the most talented men of her age. Yeah, and she she knew what plays were going on. And Marlowe's The Jew of Malta, for example, was is recorded as being performed more time in the 1590s than any other play, as far as we know. So, you know, she would certainly have been aware of him. She was probably he, um, never met so, him. so then, 
Was he a celebrity? Would would people have known about him? He was a celebrity in his world, the world of theatre, certainly. But whether, I mean, he counted for anything politically or not is another matter. And he wasn't a court. He was never glamorous in that sort of way. And he was, of course, never married, didn't leave never any married. children. No, no. So we have this here. So here we have a remarkable man, a, a distinguished playwright, young, incredibly talented, self-made man, also working as a spy for the British government. And then, of course, when he's 29 years old, he wanders into a pub in Deptford, which then was not part of London, now is on the Thames, and his life ends. Uh, it's a fascinating um, question of how he died. Alan uh, Judd, the author of A Fine Madness, this is what your book is about. After We're going to take a short break, and then I specifically want to address what what we know about his death and what your theories are and get to the core of your new book, A Fine Madness. So Alan Judd, a fine, uh, author of Fine Madness, will be back in about 60 seconds. Hold tight, everyone, for more on the great playwright Christopher Marlowe. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenan. We are back with, I was going to say Christopher Marlowe, but Christopher Marlowe is long dead with Alan Judd, the author of A Fine Madness, a Christopher Marlowe murder mystery. Um, Alan, how how accurate did you want this book to be? I mean, did you use it as a an excuse to to theorize about Marlowe's life as a, as a, a, a crime fiction writer, or, or or do you really, or did you, or really want to get to the truth of how Marlowe was murdered or died? It's accurate, firstly, to my idea of Marlowe. I can never know Marlowe. None of us ever can. But 
you can have an idea of him. And this should, is should one's death be a reflection of, of, of life, Alan? Is well, that in, what you're saying? In his case, in his case, yes. I wanted to, his death to seem like the inevitable outcome of a spiritual condition. Yes, that's not too pompous. But that's a, a Dostoevskian element. That's a Dostoevskian element. Now, in in the what happens in the book, most of what happens in the book did happen in reality, but there's no evidence that Marlowe was involved in all of it. Just no evidence. But theoretically, he could have been. He just could have been. I'm and not saying he was. Another character that we need to introduce that we didn't talk in the first half, who is a real character, but you make central in this book a man called Thomas. Philippis. Yeah. Why is Philippis important and why do you make him one of the central characters in A well, Fine Madness? I got interested in him as the more I read about Walsingham's spy network. And Philip, I think he was pronounced Phillips, or they're spelled Philippis, as you say. Okay. I think it's Phillips. But Thomas he, Phillips, then, uh, yeah. 1556 to 1625, most famously remembered for his involvement in the Babington plot, but you make him central also in the death of Marlowe. Yeah, he was he was Walsingham's kind of right-hand man. He did all the decoding of, you know, foreign messages and letters, and he did the encoding as well. He was a coding... Oh, he was a crypto he, uh, analyst. He was a, he was a crypto genius, yeah. He was brilliant. So he would have but, been working in the equivalent of... Bletchley Park of the he would have been century. yeah he was a he was a one man Bletchley, and he was also a case officer in intelligence terms in that he dealt with agents as well. So I make him Marlowe's case officer. So he was Smiley then. He wasn't Smiley because he wasn't in charge. So Smiley was, would have been Walsingham, and then yeah, um, Smiley would have been Walsingham. Phillips would have been somebody working for Wal. Um, That's right. Yeah, for, uh, for for Smiley, and then yeah. um, and then Marlowe would have been someone working for yeah. Marlowe would have been a, a an age, not an agent in the sense of an official, but an agent in the sense of a spy who is employed now and again. We British love spy novels, don't we? We do. Um, we all do. Well, I don't know what what is it about the British that make them so obsessed with spying? We just we. I'm not really English anymore. Yeah. Uh, are, are you guys naturally? Natural spies, do you think? I, I don't know why it came about, but it, it developed in the late 19th century mainly. And um, the, there's a great plethora of spy novels, and this genre has gone all over the world ever since. Um, yeah. You would have thought the Russians would have done a lot on spy novels, and they do do a bit, but not as much as... You well, know. as you say, Dostoevsky could have probably, but he, he's yeah, heavier he stuff. Yeah. Well, you're combining Dostoevsky and, and Le Carre yeah. uh, in a yeah. historical sense. So this... Thomas Phillips. Yeah. What happens? And what's your theory in in um, in the book about uh, the death of Christopher Marlowe? Well, my theory is that unless we have evidence to the contrary, what the coroner's report says happened is probably what happened. We don't know the full story of why it happened, but we have a pretty good account of how it happened and who killed him and who else was there, and how it came about. There may be more behind it that we don't know. But until we have evidence of what that is, it's pointless to speculate, although people always want to speculate because we love conspiracy theories. Right, we love conspiracy theories, particularly about Marlowe's yeah. life. Wikipedia has various conspiracy theories, including he was killed on the orders of the father and son of Lord Burghley and Sir Robert yeah, Cecil, right. yeah. the Queen ordered yeah. his assassination. 
yeah. his death was fake to save him from trial. At least Donald Trump yeah. isn't involved here or Vladimir Putin. So there are so well, many theories, right? They will be. Yeah, there are. And there's no evidence for any of them. They all depend on would have, could have, might have. You know, it's 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 just speculation. So let's get beyond speculation. That's what you do in A Fine Madness, a Christopher Marlowe yeah. mid, uh, mid murder mystery, Alan. What do you think really happened and how do you represent it in the book? Well, what I think really happened is that Marlowe was was invited to meet three other people that day in the house of Eleanor Bull in Deptford. Now, Eleanor Bull seems not to have been an innkeeper or a tavern. It was probably quite a respectable kind of boarding house where you could also go and have food. She had court connections. It wasn't a down-and-out place. And her evidence to the coroner is that these four men met and they they talked and they walked in the garden and they ate and they drank, and she says, and they were in good parts. Then towards the end of the day, late afternoon, they come in and they go to the room they had rented from her, and three of them sit down at cards. One of them, Marlowe, doesn't. He lies on a bench or or sofa or something at the side. And an argument develops between him and one of the others. Who were the other three? What's your theory on that? The other three were all people associated with the Walsingham spy network. Two of them were pretty villainous. Um, well, maybe all three, but not enough is known. And they were they might have been meeting over something to do with spying, but it's quite likely they were meeting in some money-making scheme of their own because they were always doing that sort of thing. And Marlowe had a bit of a history of an interest in forgery, for example. He'd been in trouble for currency forgery. Anyway, an argument develops between him and one of the others about the bill. They called it the reckoning. And Marlowe is said to have got up from his bench and approached this other man who was called Ingram Freezer and whom he knew and with whom he was sharing a house at the time and taken Freezer's knife from his belt and started hitting him about the head with it, cutting him twice. Freezer gets up, is hemmed in because of the table, the card table, turns and fights back. And the knife gets pushed two and a half inches into Marlowe's right eye and he dies cursing. That's what the coroner's account says. And, and why is this Dostoevsky? Because it somehow reflects the complexity well, of his life? Yeah, I think. And also he, he had a record for getting involved in violence things. Of those four men in that room, only one had, um, had records with the law for being violent afraid and well, there was a much more fight. violent society than it our was. own i mean and marlo was more was violent. unusual was it yeah yeah marlo was more violent than most i suspect others said of him that he would cause sudden privy injuries to men i he had a way of he he bashed people he attacked them i guess um so we don't know about all that, what exactly prompted this, whether it really was an argument about the reckoning or whether there was something behind it, which there might well have been. But that's what seems to me to typify Marlowe, that he would, in the end, cause his own death in some way, that there was a self-destructive streak, although he wasn't seeking to do that. Most but mystery writers, Alan, don't give away the end of the story. The subtitle of the book is a Christopher Marlowe murder mystery, but yeah. there's no real mystery. It's more 
a Christopher Mar Marlowe murder drama, right? You, yeah. You're less interested in the whodunit as to the historical existential quality of his as life. As to the why, yeah. And also, what I haven't given away is why Thomas Phillips is telling us this story. Okay, well, why, we won't give that one away. Let's he's make been sure asked people actually it. buy the book. It's out... Yeah. Um, it's out in the US this month. It's already out in the UK. Uh, finally, Alan, it's a fascinating story and wonderful book. Um, what do you think it tells us about the Elizabethan era? Really a remarkable period, the most remarkable period in English history. And as, as amongst the most remarkable in political, economic, cultural, and particularly cultural terms as any country in history. What was it about the Elizabethan era that generated men of, of Marlowe's complexity and brilliance? I think it was a particularly viv vigorous time, and it was violent, as you've pointed out. I think also there was um, a, a, an up, a great freeing that the disestablishment of the church and the spread of wealth meant that people like young Christopher Marlowe as a young boy could, if they were lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, really go up in the world and you could you could right advance Can't do that now can you um <laughs> alan in the uk well, or the us if you're born into a poor family you, you tend to stay there you end up as a prince yeah. you know a great cultural figure and spy master yeah. and all the rest yeah of well i suspect most of them did then but there were except there were enough exceptions for them to be quite common well, this book about, uh, and in, in Alan's language, A Cat That Walked Alone is memorable, remarkable life and a remarkable book, A Christopher Marlowe Murder Mystery, A Fine Madness. Congratulations, Alan, on, on this book. Um, Thank you. I hope uh, lots of people will have the opportunity to read it. It's certainly not your first book. You've written many books in the past, many award-winning books. What else should people be reading, Alan, to take their minds off the darkness of the Ukraine and Russia at the moment, in addition to your new book? Yeah, well, something completely different. I've been sent for review. Um, this book, which you probably can't see very well, this is a review copy. I used to live here once, Miranda Seymour. Yeah, The Haunted yeah. Life of Jean Rice. That's an interesting one. Yeah, and uh, she's a very interesting character, Jean Rice, and um, there's been one biography of her before. She was a great, a great writer of the last century, and I think it's looking very good, this book, so I would recommend it. Good. Well, Alan Judd, finally, the author of A Fine Madness. Alan, um, who runs the world? Who's in charge? I think the great god chance, sometimes known as fate, but certainly not President Putin, who I think this could be the beginning of the end for.